Good morning, church. Oh, goodness, that song is a... That's got a boatload of power. I told... Uh, I'll confess a little bit so that everybody knows I'm not perfect, in case you're wondering. I first heard that song, and I listened to the lyrics, and I thought to myself, well, Andrew Peterson, you, you've messed that up. Kingdom of priests to God doesn't make sense. We're, we're priests to the, the world around us, priests for God, but not to God. He doesn't need there to be a priest. But uh, then you go to Revelation, I encourage you to read the passage for yourself that Leah read. It's indeed what the Word says, talking about the end of this, when we're no longer here. That's what we will be doing, being priests to God. And it really convicted me that, like, I thought I had an understanding, and sure enough, there was still more to learn, always, forever. So that song has a very special place in my heart, because the, we, we didn't read the part today, but absolutely take time to read Revelation. The moment that he's singing about, and we're talking about, is he worthy, is this moment where there's a, 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 a view that somebody needs to take this scroll. Somebody has to do this. And everybody in heaven begins to cry out because there's nobody worthy. Nobody can do it. They'd have to be a perfect lamb. And all of us are sinners. And we can't open the scroll. We can't, we can't bear the wrath of God. And then everybody celebrates because a lamb that was slain comes from the crowd, representing Jesus, of course. And that's what that whole song is about, is that despite our unworthiness and despite how much we struggle, there will come a day when he who is worthy will take care of everything. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. As usual, uh, Leah picked wonderful songs. We, uh, we usually prepare our sermon some, some amount of time before Sunday. I'll leave it at that. And then Leah gets the remaining time between the sermon prep and Sunday morning to pick the songs. Sometimes that could be as many as two to three hours she gets to do that. <clears throat> but anyway, so she takes time to find the music that fits the best so that when we, when we sing these songs, we put ourselves in a place of worship to God unequivocally, uh, but hopefully even prepping our minds a little bit for the sermon. And today's music is a perfect alignment with that. So we'll be here at the end of Second Peter. This is the last chapter, so close out Second Peter. And as many final chapters go, this is a solid one in that there's sort of some last-minute reminders. If you recall, we've been talking about, it's been a lot of kind of instruction for watching out for false teachers. This is a real problem. But today we're talking about not an eternal problem. Eventually, this is all going to be handled. So if you've got your Bibles, please join with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. I suppose I can read it. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3, um, and let's get after it. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water, by the word of God, and, th and that by means of these, the world that, had, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we talk about these end time sorts of things, Lord. We talk about the second coming. We talk about your judgment and the earth being consumed with fire, Lord. It can take a turn towards fear, um, doubt. Lord, I pray that we don't get caught up in worry about this happening, Lord, but rather anticipation, excitement, and joy. This series of events that we sing about and that we talk, just talked about, Lord, unfolding heralds eternity with you. Uh, that's certainly nothing to worry about. But our concern comes in this place now prior to this event happening, Lord, that there is work to be done. There are so many people that have a no understanding or a false understanding or a false impression of who you are and what you've done. They think they know better. They think perhaps that this is overly simplistic But Lord, help us to be patient with them as you are patient with all of mankind and help us to take the time that you have allotted to us in your mercy to spread the good news, to also be patient and kind and to tell everybody that we come across that there's something better on the other side of whatever happens exactly at the end of this world. There's an eternity that is going to be worth it. Thank you for that promise, Lord. In your son's name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's get here. Good news. When we talk, pardon me, when we talk about good news, people like to hear about things other than the end of the world. So eschatology, I know uh, Mike's mentioned this word before. I'm going to bring it up again because it's a great $10 word, and it basically just means like the study of the end of things. Anything can have an eschatology. You could do the eschatology of Chris, and it'll be my demise and how I'm going to talk, what's going to happen when I end. Since we have no knowledge of what's going to happen at the end of my life, we rarely discuss it. We know I'm going to die, most likely, unless Christ comes back, Maranatha. That could be any, any second now. But chances are I'm going to die, and it's probably going to be something silly, like I fall off a roof or whatever, something along those lines. But we don't know. When it comes to God's Word, we have a lot of information about the end times. So it's worth studying and understanding, not just for the sake of unpacking the code of Revelation or whatever. And this passage itself isn't quite like Revelation. We don't hear Peter. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the end of the world. This is eschatology, but it's not like a bunch of symbols. He's not talking about beasts and, and you know, w- women riding dragons and, s- and seven lampstands. We're not seeing any of that here. It's much more specific about Christ's coming and the purpose and much more general about the specificity of what's going to happen. It is concerning itself in the end of the age. I want to be clear about that. This isn't him talking about another coming of Christ that is just... He might come back and for like a second visit before he is talking about the end of the world. And the end of the world should be welcomed by believers. If somebody claims to be a Christian and they fear the end of the world, something is disconcordant. Now, fearing death, I want to make this very clear before I go much further. Fearing death is, I think, a rational biological response. People tend to, to protect themselves. Put your hand on a hot stove, you retract from that. It's almost instinctual. You have to really concentrate to do harm to yourself. Plenty of people do that, but it's not something that's natural and ordinary. 
So the idea of like fleeing from death and having a kind of a chemical response of being afraid of a bug or a bear or falling rock, that's different. When it comes to the general understanding of the end of times, we shouldn't be afraid of what's going to happen. I'm not saying I don't want to burn to death. I can tell you, honestly, I don't want to burn to death. I don't want to be consumed in a river of blood. I don't. I'm not looking forward to that. But what comes after the drowning in blood is something I do look forward to. And I think when we talk about the end of the world, to get hung up with the actual mechanisms by which the earth will be consumed with fire and letting that worry us to death isn't worth it. Peter does talk about that briefly, but he's talking about an idea of like vengeance is the Lord's. All this garbage that's going on around us, all the lies and the deceit, the people that have lied and cheated and stolen and done wrong to you and and besmirched the holy name of Christ, all of this will be laid bare and it will all be consumed with fire. All the good works of man, the tallest towers and the deepest holes and all of it burned to a crisp. It will mean nothing at the end of time. The perspective here should be understanding that the good news is we do not have to worry about, did I do enough good deeds on this earth to be redeemed? Was the tower I built tall enough? Was the steeple bright enough? Does not matter. Let's dive in. Paul is stirring up minds. I love this. It opens up with a verse that I misread all the time. Sincere. This is now the second letter that I'm writing you. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I read it oftentimes as stirring up your mind by way of sincere reminder. But it's not. Sincere mind. I'm sure it's sincere. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Peter is being unsincere with the reminder. But he's appealing to their true understanding. We probably don't use the term sincere mind, but we would say something maybe like soul, right? I'm trying to get to the core of your understanding. Not clouded by a lot of false teachings or... attempts to understand or take something to the next level, but what you really believe in your heart. That's what Paul's, he's trying to cut through specifically here all these false teachers that are beginning to argue, as he's, he's insinuating here, that Christ isn't coming back. This would have been a false teaching at that time. I don't think it's quite as prevalent today, directly, uh, but still there's plenty of people that just deny Christ outrightly. But at this time they're saying he's come and gone. It's, that's it. There's not going to be a second coming. Christ is not coming back. It's been too long. Now, we might think, been too long. I mean, we were sitting around here for a couple thousand years. They're complaining about, you know, 70 or whatever. Yeah, that's right. When's, when's he coming back? We're talking about a couple generations here. Let's go. And so people said, Let's, uh, people have come and died. They make mention here. They say, you know, some are saying, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing. There were people, false teachers, that said, Christ is going to be back before I die. He said he's coming back soon. So any minute, then they died. Maybe some other people died. And now you got people saying, well, they said, I mean, what's, what's he holding on for? Paul's trying to appeal to their true understanding, and he's going to cut down these, these folks that are saying absolutely the opposite of what's going on. What's Peter's argument here? Not, listen to me. I'm Peter. I know best. He is not appealing to that. He's saying, remember the prophecies. Remember the Old Testament The end times are discussed in the Old Testament too. The first coming of Christ, covered. The second coming of Christ, covered. Don't jettison all that because you don't like the way God's setting up the timing for this. Remember what Christ himself taught. Jesus was predicted. False teachers also predicted. Don't forget the depth of Christ's work in history. Peter is saying this isn't about 150 years. This is about eternity. 
Since the beginning of the world, God was here. The plans were laid. All of it has begun. The machine is running. He will see it through. He will see it through. Trust in that. If you need to know what's going on, go back to the Scripture. Don't listen to Peter for Peter's sake. As long as what Peter says is what Christ taught, which is what the Bible says, so be it. That's the same appeal that Paul's made. This is nothing new. These are folks that I would say we would call church heroes. Catholics hold Peter in extremely high esteem. And what we see in Peter's writings is endlessly the same as Paul, which is insofar as what I teach or do is like Christ, do it. Elsewise, forget about it. It's probably me and it's probably no good. They will say, they overlook. Who are they? It's a good question, and it's, it's meaningful here. He's talking about false teachers. This is right on the tail of last week's passage. So one of the things we like about doing these book-level expository preaching is I don't need to paint a bunch of pictures because hopefully you're following along. But we were just talking about false teachers, and that's exactly who Peter is addressing. These arguments are still used today. This is not an argument that has come and gone. The they of our world might not deny Christ's return. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some that do, but I haven't come across a lot of people like, I don't think Jesus is coming back. But they will ignore it in pursuit of the world. At this time, people said Christ isn't coming back because he hasn't been back yet. He's taking too long. In today's world, we're effectively saying Christ isn't coming back because he hasn't come back yet, and I don't think he's ever going to, or it could be another 2,000 years. He'll be back, but who knows? And until then, look at all this great stuff to do. Ah, we'll, we'll preach later on. But for now, let's get out there and, and, and really just party it up and, and enjoy what the world has provided for us. Let's go do some fun stuff, and, and we'll, cut, we'll get to that stuff later because we've got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. He hasn't come back in 2,000 years. Why would he come back today? That's, that's what, uh, that's what that's, <laughs> without, without saying it, that's what a lot of people are saying today. And then an argument that also holds true today, but things aren't any different, right? They're, they're complaining about that here. Things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Yeah, this is kind of the God is dead argument, right? If God was active and doing stuff, why is all this garbage happening? Why, are, why do bad things happen to good people? We use all these terms that, that paint a, a notion that we, we understand what good and bad is and not God. We understand what fast and appropriate timing is, but not God. We have made God dead in many arguments because we don't like the manner in which God is conducting his business. People can't see enough change, so it must not be changing. There's some real irony in this, because if you've ever been a member of a church or in leadership of a church, what they're complaining about here is God's not doing enough. But if you try to do much of anything, anywhere, people complain about that too. Why why are we changing fast enough? And then you change like, well, it's too much change. Because everybody's unhappy, right? Everybody wants to be crabby about something. These false teachers are going to capitalize on the opposite. If the if Peter says things are changing at exactly the right pace, then I can say, well, he's, that's not true. Things are changing too slowly, aren't they? Hey, you're right. That's right, because Peter's wrong. Listen, there's a better way. Let me tell you a few other good ideas that I've got that are going to lead you astray. This is, the, this is the exact arc of nearly every false teacher that's ever been. Paul reminds us that creation has been for a long time, and in that long time there have been big changes. It's easy for us to forget about the world being created and then the world being flooded and destroyed, all but Noah, and then recreated effectively from water. 
That happened. That was a huge change, a massive thing that God did. I promised you wouldn't do it again. God flooded the world, but he'll return to finish the job. And that's exactly what Peter is reminding us. The world was formed with water. It was flooded with water. The same God did both. He is active and alive and is doing what needs to be done. And note here, both required only the Word of God. This is an interesting play on words, right? Because we could say the Word of God, He spoke it and it happened. That's true. But also, Christ is the Word. And He was there as well. Christ created all this stuff. Christ being the Word of God, the spoken Word of God, it is what it is. So to say that somehow we have now determined that things aren't going the way we want it to, so this must be bunk, uh, Peter's argument here is that's crazy. If you believe that God created the world and then flooded the world, and you don't believe that he's going to come back and incinerate the world via the exact same word that described the flood, then you're the one that's in error. You don't want it because you don't like it. You want to worship you. You've got your ideas. And, and that's exactly what's happening here. These folks say, well, it's not really my ideas, but it's this false teacher's idea. And that's what Peter's cautioning against. Once you begin slow denial of the things of God, you might find yourself in a place where suddenly it doesn't even matter anymore. Christ's not coming back. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. But wait, there's more. The same God and the same word are waiting. Peter says, as the scriptures say, God will judge creation with fire. I like this idea now. Right now, it's all stored up, as in nothing is being missed. It's pretty disheartening sometimes as a believer. Not that, not that I don't need to contend with my own sin and the embarrassment and the shame that comes with all that stuff that I'm constantly repenting of and giving to Christ, right? But when you see the way that many pictures are painted that, uh, oh, they're all naive or foolish and people do wrong against the church or they lie and tell a a, 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 an, an outright false statement about something that happened at a church, and you're sort of like, oh, that never happened, but I, <laughs> I don't really have proof of the negative of that. Uh, you don't have proof of it, but everybody wants to believe you because we all have a bad attitude. You find yourself in this place where wrong is happening, and there's maybe nothing you can do about it. But the Word promises us that, oh, there's something that's going to be done about it. You may not have to do anything about it, but everything will lay, be laid bare. Nothing is being missed. All of it, all the sin, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the great efforts of mankind, the tall buildings and the deep valleys, all these things that we're working on and that we're lying and we're cheating, we're stealing, we're idolizing, all of it will be consumed. There will be judgment and destruction. It is being stored up. Now, this should be an encouragement to us. Peter is leaning on this notion that y'all been wronged. It's, don't worry about that. God has your back, maybe not today or tomorrow, but eventually everything that's been done to you that was errant will be made well known to the world around you and judgment will come following. Let God do his job in his time. Yes, but when? You can almost hear the cutoff. Yeah, that's fine. Good. But let's go. These people are still doing wrong. These people are in positions of power and they're corrupt. They're taking more money via taxes, and they're, they're taking land that doesn't belong to them under false pretenses, and I have no power because they have all the friends and all the money, and I got nothing, and I'm dying. My friends are dying. We're starving, and our kids are starving, and, you know, well, let's go. And the answer, maybe not palatable, is when the time is right. I put a smiley face there because it sounds like something I would say to my daughter. We were joking the other day. It was like, uh, we'll see is like parental code word for no. <laughs> 
I don't really want to say no, but it's a likely no. Hey, can I borrow the car and drive to Michigan? We'll see. Meaning, probably not, but we'll talk about it later. This is sort of God's answer is eventually. Well, that sounds like a no to me. Beloved, no, it's not a no. When am I going to get, when is this going to be made right? Eventually, that's the word of God. It will be made right eventually. God does not bother himself with our feelings about time. Now, some of you might say, well, that's not true. You can pray, and, and we see that God does things based on prayer. Right? He's not bothering himself with our feelings about time. When we reach out to him and we pray for healing or change or financial windfall or whatever, he hears those. He considers those. But if we say, God, your time is wrong. I feel this is wrong. That's not going to be like, well, God, if you feel that way, I, I guess I, as God, must adjust my plans. It's not going to happen. When we pray earnestly, that means we understand what we're praying. And if what I do is I approach the throne, I say, God, you've got this all wrong. People are getting away with murder. Let's go. What are you doing? That is not the right attitude to have God consider my prayers. This is me telling God what for. That's a big mistake, generally speaking. But if I prepare to engage God and understand the timeline I study, I find passages like this that become an encouragement to me as a believer. Maybe I need patience, just as God has patience. I always thought God was slow, but the third bullet here is he can't be slow because he can't be slowed. How do you slow down God? You can't do it. His timing, his speed is perfect. He can't be sped up and he can't be slowed down. He can't be slow because there's no idea that God was, well, hold on a minute, I'm just playing catch up. I was going to do that today, but there were three or four other prayers that I didn't see coming, so I had to deal with those, so now I'm getting to you. This is what we do. I am slow. I am forgetful. I misplace things. God does not. God is patient. God's timing exists because we are slow. We are slow to repent. We are slow to understand. We are slow to prioritize God rightly. I mentioned this blurb about uh, John Piper describing sin. And I love it. I'm not going to, uh, but uh, Google it. It's wonderful because it's not just like uh, sin is missing the mark. It takes every aspect of God and he basically unpacks that as an aspect of sin. Here's the righteousness of God, not appreciated. The commandments of God not, not, are being ignored. All these things that are God, we do the opposite. That's sin. When you read that list, you're like, well, I can't do that. Ta-da. Of course you can't. This is why we needed a Savior. But God could incinerate the earth today, and this begins the end times, and all the unsaved are judged, and this, that, and the other. But He tarries. He is patient because we as men are slow to get where we need to go. And God is giving mankind time. He's giving His workers time to do what we are supposed to do. Spread the good news. Tell the truth of Scripture. Encourage believers to go out and do the work together. As iron sharpens iron, we become better tools. And obviously because repentance is worth waiting for. To reiterate, God is not slow and He's certainly not lazy. He knows that we are both and we need time. Anytime somebody says, where's God? Why won't He come back? The answer is because we've got work to do. That's it. That's the answer. It's not God, but hold on, I, you know, the, I'm charging my powers. Or, <laughs> it's not that. It's, he is waiting for us. He's waiting for people to hear the good word. When we talk about it and you hear, 
If you ever heard David Platt talk about missions work and it doesn't almost want to make you run out the door and get on an airplane, get back in the Word. Because there's something about David's, David Platt's understanding that I wish I had better. His heart is broken. And I think it's this sort of an idea. This guy has the entire book of Romans memorized. When you commit that stuff to your brain in permanence, you can't shake it. Right? The Holy Spirit and the Word of God both in your mind all the time. It's no wonder. It's no wonder he can't let that go. There is so much work to do. So many people that are dying every day who don't know who Christ is. Yes, God is sovereign. God will save his elect. No one's going to get by because we were too slow. That's not a problem. But yet, when we understand that God's waiting because of us, then yes, we want to go work. We ought to want to do something. Anything. Something for God. God knows we are both slow and lazy. We need time. Time to hear and learn, repent and teach. And this cycle of repentance and growth glorifies God. If it didn't, he wouldn't have us doing it. Now, do I know why this glorifies God better than him appearing in the sky and having everybody say, oh my gosh, it's real. He is God. I believe. That sounds pretty easy to me. That's probably how I would do it. But I'm not God. I don't understand. I don't understand. It's a mystery. But that's okay. God is glorified by having people hear, learn, repent, and then teach others. Through that mechanism, God can now reach people that other folks might say are unreachable. I share the good news with my daughter. She shares the good news with her friend. Her friend goes home and shares the good news with a parent. That parent talks to a brother. That brother is, goes to prison, takes a little bit of that good news with him. Now he's got, and all of a sudden, we don't have any idea how all that connects. But there's somebody in a prison somewhere else 35 years from now that's a warden that has a, a, a flourishing church ministry inside of prison walls where people are coming in here and they're, they're getting to know who Jesus Christ is. And it's all because I said something to Emma, for all I know. Why? Why that way? I don't know. But it glorifies God. And I can tell you one thing I'm really looking forward to is getting to go in heaven and review this. There's going to be some just unbelievable, like, finding, finding one believer and then trying to, like, I'm hoping they've got some sort of a cool interface where you can, like, say, show me how many people are here in heaven because of this person. You, bring, and it's like, like, whoa. And we start to see that, like, well, there's this, like, old decrepit person that I never said five words to. They're responsible for 230 million people. How could that be? And God's going to say, like, well, you know, remember all that stuff about the least and the, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course, right? Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable how all these axioms that we got from God are going to all manifest more glory for him by everything that we do. If you ever wonder why everyone in the Bible seems to be so self-deprecating, it's because they really understand who God is. The hammer never wants to brag. If you don't see yourself as a hammer, you might. I'm the best hammer. Maybe I'm a different kind of hammer. Maybe I'm like some sort of a new hammer. Like, a, like I, I need a new name. Like I'm an apostle kind of hammer. The rest of us are like, we're just hammers. Be a hammer. That's okay. It's the master craftsman that matters. And somehow, in his timing, our work, every nail that we drive on his behalf, every screw that's turned by us in the hands of the master, glorifies him. And that is wonderful. So let's not put our feet up and relax. 
If you wonder why Paul, or I'm sorry, if you wonder why Peter and Paul, but Peter, I mix these guys up all the time. I had to change my slides. I had Paul in here like nine times. The book's called Peter for Pete's sake. It's okay to shake your head at that. This guy's an idiot. I am. But, but there's a real temptation to say, well, it's been a minute, so it'll be another minute, right? I, he, he is coming. His judgment cometh, but not that quick, right? No. Don't play that game. It's not worth it. We don't want to be caught unawares. It will all come crashing down very quickly. And when you do read about eschatology, I will say this much. We don't get a lot of hints that this is something that's going to take, you know, 200 years of decline. It's most likely going to happen in a decade or less. Most likely, right? If, we have, if I had to guess. That's a guess. This isn't the gospel. But there's lots of indication that all the phases of the drawdown and the final consummation of the earth through fire will be very, very rapid. Very rapid. The judgment will be swift and it will be final. It won't start and then, oh, well, hold on a minute. There's still work to be done. The work that needs to be done, we need to be about it right now. And this is because there's not going to be any more secret sins or sinning. As the world is incinerated, as the things happen, the truth will be found. Very quickly. You know where people's priorities are? Have half the earth uh, turned to fire and blood and brimstone. You'll see really quickly what people are, are, what their priorities are. There won't be a lot of time like, oh, let's get to work, put a few more hours in at the office. I'll just take the boat down the river of blood down to the... Like, that's not going to happen. Everything will go upended. All of it. People that claim to be Christians that don't believe, they'll be flooding out the doors trying to figure out something to do. How do we stop it? What do I do? Those of us that understand what's coming are going to say, ah, yeah, right. This is right on time. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to give your life to Christ. You are not going to get out of this. There's no escape. People are like, well, you could leave earth. Mm. I don't think so. I think he even makes mention of that here. But that day the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. So as long as you leave earth and don't go to another thing in the space, it's not good. It's all gone. It is a massive reset. God will incinerate. If he created the star, he can it calls them all the supernova simultaneously. There's a million ways, literally, that you could make the entire universe as we know it nothing but warm. <laughs> That's coming. And when this begins, and all the truth begins to spill out, all will be laid bare. Anything that you know, you know you got, they just stuck me on that. They lied, and here I am, looking like a fool. Not then. The truth will be known. You were railroaded. Oh, I knew it all along. And then what? And then what? What do we do then? If everybody that's ever wronged in your life, if you can have all their sins made manifest, what do you do now? If you're like, well, good, that's really all I wanted was vengeance. I would encourage you to get back into your word. Vengeance is the Lord's and he'll take care of it. That's not something for us to feel like, oh man, I really want a vengeance for myself. He knows we want that. But if once, once it happens, what do we get? What believers get is after all this nightmare, eternity with Christ. But if that's not appealing to you, I don't want to keep invoking the words of John Piper, but he has another excellent blurb where he talks about a version of heaven where your loved ones are there and it's warm, and the weather is beautiful, and there's plenty of food, and plenty of recreation, and everybody that you missed is around, and you get to visit endlessly, and you're in great health, and nobody is sick, but there's no Jesus. 
How would that be? And for a lot of people, a lot of people in church, well, I'll take it. It's better than here. It sounds better than here. Friends, if that sounds better than here, I encourage you to rethink what you believe. You may not think about it very much, but right here, right now, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Christ is alive and present today. In this terrible world, in the state that it's in, Christ is at the right hand of the Father. God is active. He is with us. If Christ was not with us, but everything that I want on this earth was fulfilled, I don't want to be there. I do not want to be there. That is a hopeless scenario. You will eventually get tired of the people that you love on this earth. You will get tired of the food. You will grow weary of walking by the same stream and the sunshine. You will not grow weary of your time with Jesus. All right. Peter's points to ponder. Four points. Number one. Stir up our sincere mind. There's nothing else you take away from this sermon. I love this sentence. I love where he puts sincere in front of mind. Number two, know that God is in control. Three, trust that his tarrying is mercy. Tarrying is just delaying, right? He's tarrying. He's waiting. But trust that that is mercy. And then expect that his judgment will be swift and unrelenting. So stir up our sincere mind. We need to cut through the nonsense of the world. This is... This is top. It's why we're here today, hopefully, is to get the truth of Scripture. Not any wise ideas that myself or Mike or anybody else has, any songwriters have. It's not to say that that's all bunk. But if it's, if it's antithetical, if, it's not, if it runs counter to the word of, of God or, or causes you to build a, an idol or a belief in your life that is something as is, is equivalent or, or even maybe better than God, knock it off. We've got to get it out of there. The more time we spend in the Word, it helps us do this. Our sincere mind, our truest beliefs will come out when we are faced with the truth of the Word of God. You'll say things like, I don't believe it. You'll say things like I said, like, that doesn't sound right. And then I go to the Word of God and I find out, oh my, do become priests to God. Well, that's crazy. How am I going to be a priest to God? If you wonder why I get choked up singing that song, that's why. We sing about a lamb's worthiness that nobody has. And then he opens the scroll. And then this commences. And then at the end of this, we stand with him as a priest to God. He has made me worthy. That breaks my heart. I don't deserve it. Why would he do it? Why is he worthy? And why is he making me worthy? That is my sincere mind. My time in the Word does this to me. It makes me wonder why. And it, makes, it, it charges me to action because I, I, I realize there's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm no good but God. I love extra biblical resources, but they are no replacement for God's Word. I'll say this a million times. Hey, folks, I'm an extra biblical resource. Compared to God's Word, I'm detritus. If I get up here and I read the Scripture to you, wonderful, because the Scripture was read, not because of me. But there's tons of books and songs and all of it, wonderful. That's, I'm not saying it. don't do anything but read your, your Bible, but just know that they don't replace time in the Word. The best extra biblical resources, here's a little tip, are ones that are constantly bringing the Word back. If you wonder, we've not spoken about this, but if you wonder why Leah reads so much Scripture and we read the passage every Sunday, 
It's because that is way more important than anything else we do in this entire time together. The songs, we love them. And they're moving and they're powerful. A lot of them are very scripturally based. But let's get more scripture, more time in the word. All it does is heighten all of that and ground us in the truth that matters. We don't need to be thinking about other things. So let's take those extra biblical resources. But the core of our faith, our sincere belief, brings us to God. That is what we're depending on. Where does that come from? I'll give you a hint. It's not me or my best efforts. It's also from God. (laughs) Faith is a gift from God. My ability to believe in God is because God moves first. And when we get back to that and we remove the clutter that we put around this kernel of truth and faith that came from the Holy Spirit, if you remember the moment you were saved, if you have a memory like that, there's a, there's a, for me, I remember it very vividly, and there's a song that, that captures my, my salvation experience perfectly. It's not really an appropriate worship song, so we don't sing it. I don't know if I could get through it, but it, the, this dude got saved in the world the same way I did. And so the, the lyrics he wrote, I'm like, this sounds like me, but I remember that moment. And if I think back to that, I think of how long ago it was. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. It almost feels like it always was. Well, then you study the Word. It's like, I think it was always. Uh, I was saved since the beginning of time. When I get back to that, when I get back to the, it's God and it's His Word, that stirs up the sincerity of my belief. It's not me being good. It's not my clever thinking. If you know me well, I love to argue, I love to debate, I love theology, I love the study of sciences and math, I love trick problems and riddles, I love this stuff, I love to argue, I think it's so fun. But down at the core of this, there is no argument, there's no debate, there's no scientific method required. The Holy Spirit changed me at the request of the Father through the Son, and I can't go back to anything else, and I can build tons of crap that have nothing to do with that. But I can't improve upon it. That is the sincere mind that requires stirred up. And I encourage everybody, if this sounds foreign to you, let us know. I want to talk about that. But if it's like, ah, yeah, it's, it's true. I get down there. Spend time there. It's exactly why Peter wrote the letter. This is what he opens with. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets, commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Hey, y'all. Remember when you were saved. Remember the kernel of truth that you learned about because of the Word of God. Remember that. Remember the Word of God. All these other scoffers, heck with them. They're going to keep coming. They're going to keep trying to tempt you. But remember the truth that's been placed in you by God and reinforced by the Word. Second, know that God is in control. If you're struggling with this first one, the second one's going to get even trickier. But if the first one's there, the second one follows in, in wonderful succession. It's tough to see the world and, not, and the suffering and not be bothered. I'm not talking about this deference to suffering. I'm not saying, oh, what, your, you know, your kid got hit by a car? Well, so be it. God is sovereign, right? So I don't know what to tell you. But someday in eternity, it'll all be made right. Like, that is a really callous thing to do. There is this notion of not being happy with the situation in the world. We're supposed to be bothered. We're supposed to be bothered. Jesus wept. Jesus didn't appreciate death. He didn't blow it off. I'm going to re- stop crying. I'm going to resurrect him. Boom. Let's go, Lazarus. He didn't. He wept with the family. They were sad. They lost a loved one. The world is in a state that brought Jesus to tears. He created it. He knew it was going to happen. This blows my mind that he takes the time to cry with us. Why would he do it? Why not fix it? Because God. 
God is waiting for us. We're supposed to be bothered but bothered to action. We have to know that God has handled the world thus far and still sits on the throne. No matter what is happening out there, no matter what is going on in our lives or the lives of those that we, we, we love dearly and hold close and how difficult it might be and how, how hard it is to understand how this could be squared up with a God that is so good, we have to know that he is still there. We have to know that maybe we don't understand it, maybe it seems unfair, but he has not abandoned the world nor his chosen. There is no abandonment in God's family. Cannot happen. Third, trust that his tearing is mercy. I can tell you this is the hardest one for me. I, I don't feel an urgency necessarily. I wish I felt more of one to be busy for God, to go out and do work and be a you know, missions work. I sometimes get this, I forget that Christ could come back at any moment. There's always going to be time, right? I've got thousands of, of years of history behind me and a whole bunch before me and Christ hasn't come back yet. But God's giving the world time to repent. His mercy is evident every second the world is not incinerated. Folks, when we see the the trouble in the world around us, these are all opportunities for us to talk about the goodness and the truth of God. And the goodness and the truth of God is not, hey, you're going to be okay. Everybody's going to be okay. Everything's okay. We're all okay. That's not the truth of God. The truth of God is that his son came and redeemed a fallen world, and he's going to come back and see it through. And there's truth that transcends all this, and it's worth our effort to take the time to learn it. During this time of mercy, we should be proclaiming the mercy. We're not just waiting in a waiting room. I know we mentioned this before. We're not just sitting there waiting for our number to be called, right? Reading Popular Mechanics from 1997 or whatever's on the table. Like, well, I don't know. This. What number is he on? Oh, my gosh, you know. This is ridiculous. It's not what we're here to do. We've got work to do. And if you wake up in the morning and you're trying to figure out which way to go, uh, get back to the Word, and today's going to be one of those days, I go to work same as everybody else does. I got to deal with paying bills and getting my car serviced and all this stuff, all these things that we're not going to find in the Word. But as we approach those things that we do, and we're reminded that even the ability to get my oil changed one more time is because God is, is belaying the order to incinerate the world so that more people can hear the good news, it should change the way that we approach even getting our oil changed, even shaking hands with a visitor, ordering food, tipping at a restaurant, saying hello, making amends with a neighbor, whatever. There's time. God has given us time. And we can use that time to glorify Him or we can use that time to glorify ourselves, but not both. Not both. And lastly, expect that His judgment will be swift and unrelenting. This day will be terrifying and beautiful. There's a line in uh, Lord of the Rings, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but there's a, an elf. She's gener- very powerful. She's a good, good guy in the, in the storyline named Galadriel. And uh, Frodo is trying to move this ring that's like the embodiment of power and evil to have it destroyed in the mountain. And during his journey, he's brought to meet with her. And he's, she's telling him about this challenge that he's got and that kind of she's on his side. And, and he's so smitten with her presence and her attitude that he says, if you... If you want me to give you the ring, I'll give it to you. And she, for a second, like, thinks, oh my, 
Imagine if I had the ring. And the, the words, the, the way that she describes herself is that it would be, all will worship me and despair. She'll, we'll have a queen. And this notion of worshiping her and despairing always struck me as very counter to logic. Like, why would I worship something and also be in despair? But I always think of that when we talk about these end times. We as believers will see, we will worship God, but we'll despair for the world as being sin. Now, this is God's justice. There's, and that's we're celebrating and worth worshiping God over. But the idea of watching everything get destroyed, a creation that he so lovingly put together will be incinerated by fire. It's not going to be a picnic. It's not going to be like, oh, who cares, right? He's just going to burn the world up. No, no, no. It's going to be an unraveling like we have never experienced. Everything that is wrong with the world will be wiped away and all sin will be accounted for. And once it has begun, it will be completed without delay. I mentioned this before. We are not in the end times now. It's taking too long. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying I, I could be wrong on that, right? But when we see and we hear these biblical accounts, there's a very rapid pace towards the end of all this because everything's finished. Right now, God's waiting because we've got jobs to do. But once God has determined that the jobs that we have to do are completed, there's no need to wait. It's going to go right through as he slowly destroys the world, exacting his judgment, his vengeance, and his wrath as he prescribed and as he sees fit. And it will not be... Uh, everybody's okay. Let's just all go to heaven and forget it. I'm not going to do this. That is not what's going to happen. So every step we take, every day we take a step out of our door, every time we wake up, we know that once this has begun, there's no going back. We're not going to be able to say, God, hold on, go, hold on. I want to do one more mission trip. I, I was going to do it, but I ran out of time. It's too late. Will we have regrets? I don't know, maybe at the outset. Eventually, you know, eventually things like regret and sin will go away. But let's not even deal with that. Let's be about the work of the Lord in such a way that we're not worried about having regrets if the end times started tomorrow. Let's do the work today that we could do today. What about us? Let's stir up our sincere minds. As I mentioned before, if there's nothing else you take from today's message, take that away. Get back to the truth of your faith via and to and through God. Let's find peace in God's sovereignty. We may not understand it, I'm not saying let's understand fully the sovereignty of God. It's not going to happen. But let's find peace in knowing that he is God and we are not. Let's work diligently for God in the time that he has gifted us, in this time of mercy between here and absolute destruction of the world. And let's look forward to a day where we will never be separated again. After, after we're done here with this destruction of the world, it is heaven forever, the presence of God at infinitum. That is something to look forward to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge. The challenge of your word and the challenge put forth through your word to us, Lord. I pray that we're not, we don't get caught up in trying to be good people and trying to look apart or, or bide our time until you come back for us, Lord, but that we are about your work in this place as you mercifully wait for us to do what needs done. Now we know that there isn't some magic moment where like that's it. You've decoded the thing and we need one more person preached to and then God can come back, Lord. It's, it's not about that. It's not about meeting requirements or doing something just to do it. It's about being faithful uh, to you and, and working for you through the gifts that you've given us, the opportunities that you've presented to us. 
uh, to further your kingdom, to let the, the world know, a world that is so desperately in need of you, to let them know there is a better way. There is hope. There is truth and life. There is a way that changes everything. It may not feel like it changes everything at, at, on day one, Lord, but, and it may get tough sometimes, Lord, but we know that you will never let us go. You're sovereign. You're in absolute control. You're never caught unawares. You're never bested by the actions of somebody else. And we also know that no matter what happens on this earth, no matter how tough it gets or how many times we don't have answers and people are frustrated with us or others because they're looking for hope and we don't know how to communicate it and they're not grasping it, Lord, there will come a day when every knee will bow. And Lord, help us to to be ensuring we're doing our part as best we can through your changing of our lives to see that day be as fruitful as possible, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word and the challenges that are answering your sons. And I pray, amen.